This podcast is sponsored by GCOR 15, RMA's Governance, Compliance, and Operational Risk Virtual Conference, June 7th to 10th. The conference will provide valuable content and peer sharing in today's complex environment with a stacked lineup of industry experts covering topics including culture, PPP litigation, climate risk, DEI, AI and machine learning, re-entry in the wake of the pandemic, and much more. For more information and to register, visit www.rmahq.org backslash G-C-O-R. Welcome to RMA's podcast series. This is Linda Tachaman, CEO of Third Party Risk Institute. This is part two of three on third party concentration risk, and it's based on a white paper published by RMA and created by myself and some members of the Third Party Risk Management Roundtable that is sponsored by uh, RMA. In part one of the series, I talked about the importance of inventory management, particularly having a good inventory of your third and material fourth party relationships. Then I spoke about entity and activity level concentration risk, geographic, geopolitical, and and country concentration risk. In today's podcast, I want to speak with you about cloud concentration risk, fourth party concentration risk, and systemic concentration risk. Cloud concentration risk for most firms is very high because there's a limited number of cloud service providers and there's pervasive use of the same cloud providers uh, by by really everyone across the sector, as as well as multiple and different clouds interacting to supply a third-party product or service. Third-party products and services are more complex, and along with that, there's an increased need for agility and elasticity. Many third-party solutions interact with business segments and involve large, multifaceted third-party outsourcing relationships and material fourth parties and cloud solutions. Some good examples of this are payment, settlements, and clearing systems. And then there's an added layer of complexity when these ecosystems also interact with one another, or in other words, cloud-to-cloud, third-party-to-third-party, and this creates aggregated concentration risk and cloud interconnectedness. I'd like to note that the financial services regulators do actually, um, they examine 200 fintechs, but this does not include any of the cloud service providers today. So we're on our own here. So in order to address third-party cloud concentration risk, I want to give you some of the key recommendations from the white paper. So number one, it's right back to inventory. It's really important to have an aggregated inventory of all material and uh, material third and fourth party cloud solutions. And to do that, you're gonna obviously have to go identify them during due diligence and get that information from your third parties. You should understand which systems, products, services, and data they access. And ideally, you might be able to actually identify some some nth party, so that would be a, a third party to a fourth party, where possible, and make sure you understand and approve the location of services that are, that are utilized by your firm. So what we're saying here is if the third party is using a cloud provider and the cloud provider is using a cloud provider, which does happen, you need to understand all of that. And that, that means you also need to understand where the servers are to make sure you're complying with regulations and laws. You want to minimize the risk of outages and, high vol- uh, and, and giving high volumes of data to one provider. So you want to, might want to consider engaging third parties who have mitigated this risk by, mul- by utilizing multiple cloud solutions as, as opposed to one. You want to also ha- go back and have a look at your contracts. We learned a lot of, in the pandemic about uh, having very solid contract provisions. You want to make sure that there are clear exit strategies, that the requirements for data destruction uh, in all locations is clear, 
you want to make sure that the uh, that the cloud providers uh, must clear the cache uh, when exiting the cloud solution, or you know these are temporary in many cases. And what I have learned is that often the clashes are not cleared immediately, and sometimes a new tenant can come into the cloud solution, and your data is still there. So it's extremely important to understand when they are clearing the cache. You want to make sure that uh, there's due diligence on audibility rights are clear, that there's very strong information security requirements. If you're dealing with the big providers, this isn't really an issue. Uh, that there are requirements re uh, including notifications for fourth-party cloud solutions in your third-party contracts. You want to make sure there are security requirements over the APIs as the application uh, programming interfaces are, are very clear because there's many of them out there. And APIs are very, very vulnerable if they're not well protected. You want to make sure that there's data storage restrictions and specifically by country. And you want to understand the specific recovery priority order and you want to make sure it's aligned with your, with your biz, line of business recovery time objectives. So these things need to be in your contracts, and it's a good time to go back and, and make sure that your contracts have all the provisions that you really need. You also might want to consider identifying complex relationships where there's interconnected data centers and cloud providers to make sure you really understand and identify higher levels of aggregated cloud uh, risk. So there's lots to consider there. Here we have many other recommendations, but these are just some that I chose because they seem to be high impact. The next type of concentration risk I want to talk about is fourth party concentration risk. And I think we're beginning to realize as a sector, we sure need to know a lot about, a lot more about material fourth parties than we do today. There really are very, very few best practices for assessing and addressing fourth party concentration risk. This type of concentration risk arises when multiple third parties are using the same fourth party and you're also potentially using them as a directly as a third party. So when you put all the pieces together, you can see you're going to get uh, higher levels of fourth party concentration risk. And this cascade effect may affect more than one of your business segments. Now, not all fourth parties are equal. So it's really important that you define what you mean by a material fourth party why it is significant to your operations, and what data you need from your third parties about material fourth parties. Your relationship with material fourth parties is and will remain at arm's length at best. And because of this, sound data collection practices and data quality are key to understanding fourth party concentration risk. We do know that SolarWinds is an excellent but chilling example of fourth and fifth party risk. And it's, 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 there's a direct line of sight between deficient third party risk management capabilities and solar winds as a risk event. So some of the key recommendations we have for managing third party, for, sorry, fourth party concentration risk is first of all, determine the, the, the criteria or scope for requiring third parties to complete due diligence and give you information about their third party risk management capabilities and provide you with information about their material fourth parties. And when you're uh, doing your data collection, make sure you avoid free form uh, fields because these can really impair data analysis. During due diligence, you want to also have a very close look at the third parties, not just their third party risk management capabilities, which would be the management over your four, but their lifecycle management capabilities. Can they actually identify, assess, manage, and control critical fourth parties uh, during, uh, you know, throughout the whole life cycle? Now, what we're seeing is an emergence of these sort of sub-programs in your, in your own third-party risk management program that would allow you to, to assess the existence and operational effectiveness of third-party risk management capabilities for material fourth parties. 
and that required documentary, documentary evidence is clear. What do you need to know and what could you reasonably expect to get? So you might want to put this as a as kind of a roadmap um, um, development area because most people don't have anything. In fact, many people, many firms don't even ask anything about uh, third-party risk management capabilities when they're doing due diligence. So an emerging risk management activities is to determine whether any material fourth parties represent a single point of failure due to high reliance uh, by your third party on uh, high levels of operational dependencies. They want to understand whether or not those fourth parties have access to sensitive or protected information and how they might be able to impact your networks and system, perform compliance activities or reporting, et cetera, on behalf of your firm. We're seeing that as you outsource, <laughs> so do your third parties outsource. So the reliance on, on uh, material fourth parties is, is really growing quickly. So we have many more recommendations, and those are just some of the, the top ones that we have. And the last one I want to talk about today is systemic concentration risk. And uh, we do know that risk insight into these pervasive third parties, uh, which it really gives a, a rise to uh, systemic concentration risk, and the information about this is really unavailable. And this arises because many, many financial firms rely on the same third, fourth, or nth parties for various reasons, usually because they're best in class, they be, or they may be a sort of a single, a single source service provider. And there's a direct connection between, between systemic concentration risk and the potential for your firm to suffer very, very high risk losses. So third parties that fall into the systemic concentration risk category are potentially single points of failure whose unavailability or failure had the potential to disrupt the whole industry. But you want to make sure that you're the first to recover. So one of the things you can do is make sure that your relationship manager over these very, very important, you know, high systemic concentration risk relationships is very well qualified, that they accept the responsibility to oversee, to keep an eye open for, uh, you know, deteriorating uh, risk, uh, deteriorating performance or, um, you know, changes in management, et cetera, you really want to make sure they, they know how to do their job. Because if they do, they can be your early warning signal. And you also want to get back to that, that inventory. You want to make sure, basically, that all of your information gives you really good insight into who's supporting you in which ways, and that you start to think about whether or not there realistically are any contingency plans out there. But this, in fact, if there was a risk event with one of these very, very pervasive uh, third parties is probably something that would involve the whole sector and regulators trying to trying to get on top of it quickly. But the more you know about your relationship, the easier it will be for you to be on top of this. So once again, this is Linda Tuck Chapman speaking for RMA's third party risk management uh, roundtable and the RMA podcast series. So I invite you to listen to my third in a series of three uh, podcasts on third party risk management. Uh, and concentration risk, and I'm going to talk about key risk indicators and thresholds for third-party concentration risk. Thanks for listening.